Lord, thank you uh, for your word. Thank you for having such a great plan, a mysterious kind of plan, to uh, work out a relationship with us so that we could be redeemed to you, so that we we could be forgiven of our sins, to have a relationship with the Holy God. And uh, thank you for choosing Mary, uh, just quite an incredible woman. And I pray as we open up the scriptures to look at her life, that it would speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you guys ever taken a really close look at nativity scenes? Um, we have one on our mantle at, at home, and, and I don't think ours is any different from any other nativity scene, um, but they always look really peaceful. And um, the expressions on all the characters in the nativity scenes, they always look really calm, really peaceful, and, and Joseph and Mary, they just look so serene, like, this is just so peaceful. And, and, the, and the Magi, the shepherds, they, they, they look so tranquil. And, and, and baby Jesus is, is never found, like, crying. He's always, you know, it, never crying, nothing. He's just a chill baby. Even the donkeys and camels, they all look happy. And, um, and it's not only nativity scenes, but it's also songs, right? Songs, songs kind of lend to this feeling as well. And we sing Silent Night and All is Calm, All is Bright. Or A Little Lord Jesus, No Crying He Makes. Or we sing, O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. And I think, uh, to some extent, we kind of romanticize how it was back then, thinking that it was a less complicated life. Uh, thinking that they didn't have as much to deal with, and that life was just a, a little more simple back then, and easier to live a peaceful type of life like that, because they didn't have the pressures that we have. Uh, you know, we have mortgages and insurances and career problems and, and other things that they just didn't have back then, and we, we just have more stuff to deal with. But if we simplify their lives too much, then we, we might not understand the, the, the true peace that Jesus brought when he came 2,000 years ago. And let's just take a look at a character this evening. We're going to take a look at Jesus' earthly mother, Mary. And we look at all the portrayals of Mary, and most of them depict this very calm and collected person, and there's hardly ever any emotion. Even when he was hanging on the cross, the, the picture is just depicted as she's just calm, collected, nothing can faze her. And what we're going to do in this message is, is we're going to walk through her life and, and what she really, really went through, from, from what we know about her, from when we first meet her to the end of her life. And, and so last year we looked at Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, and, and we looked at um, the women in his earthly ancestral lineage, all his grandmothers. And so this year, I'm um, going to take a look at Mary. And she had, she had quite an amazing journey, and, and there's a lot of things to discover about her. And some of us may have forgotten that she paid a, a really huge price to be the mother of Jesus. And we're going to go back to look at her life uh, to see what it has to say to us and, and, and about the peace of God that Jesus came to bring and that Mary was part of that. So let's turn to Luke chapter 1 and where we first run into Mary. And an angel appeared to Mary to, to tell her she found favor with God, but there's a, a very interesting response. And from the very beginning, an angel comes to Mary and tells her that, but then in verse 29, it says, but when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. See, Mary was not accustomed to be singled out. She, she, she was an ordinary girl. And you take a look at her name. It's a really common name. 
it was a really common name back there. And, and you can tell by just reading the New Testament how common her name was. There were, there were a lot of women named Mary back in first century Israel. And about 50% of the women back then were named Mary. And in Hebrew, the name is Miriam, after Moses' sister. So, so there is, there's Mary, and, and an angel comes to her, and she's really taken back as to why she's kind of singled out here. And the angel said to her in verse 28, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. In verse 29, we find she's troubled, and, and then verses 30 and 31, Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. In verse 31, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. So, hey, Mary, you're, you're going to be pregnant, and you're going to have a son. There was a lot Mary didn't understand about what the angel was saying. Uh, much of what the angel said looks clear to us as we look back in Luke's account of the gospel. But you put yourself in, in Mary's sandals at that time, and she was just kind of blindsided by this news. This was something that she was not prepared for. She was given this news, but she wasn't married. And in her time, it was an extremely unacceptable thing to, to be an unwed mother. So she had to go to Joseph, a righteous man, whom she was engaged to, and tell him she was pregnant, and then try to explain to him that it wasn't because she was unfaithful to him. Joseph knew he wasn't the father, and, and, and he has this task of trying to understand that his fiancée was visited by an angel and told she was going to be pregnant because God was doing some miracle in her body. Now, what guy is going to believe that? Right? And this isn't a story that someone would just kind of make up in Mary's day. There, there are some huge ramifications for, for doing stuff like this. She, she knew what would happen to adulteresses in, in that day. And the most common judgment on a, on a woman convicted of adultery would entail the woman being taken to a public place where her, where her clothes would just be torn off of her, her body in this shameful way, and her hair would be let down to, to be identified with like a prostitute because women never took their hair down in public. And she would be stripped of anything, her jewelry, anything that would kind of identify her to what family she belonged to or anything, and left there. Left there in public disgrace for people to just pass by and point fingers and shake their heads at her and, and cluck their tongues at her. And then... She could even have capital punishment, possibly. And Mary knew that saying yes to God probably meant losing her marriage and quite possibly losing her life. And there was no hiding that she was not married and pregnant in her town. Right? It's, just, it's just not news that someone could hide. It, it would have been something that brought great shame to her family. And Nazareth was just a small little village, a few hundred people, so, so it worked like a small town where everyone knew each other's business. And any, any, anyone here of small town gossip? It would have been here. And even if Joseph believed her, the town wouldn't believe her. And she would lose her reputation. She knew what happened to pregnant, unwed women in a small town, and, and their, their reputations are forever tainted. There's no shaking this. And there are a few clues in the New Testament that show that Mary's reputation followed her, and it followed Jesus. And the stories followed her for a really long time of being this unwed teenage girl. <clears throat> when Jesus began his ministry in his hometown, he gave his first sermon in a synagogue, and Mary was most likely there, and, and it didn't go very well. People didn't applaud when he was done. And we're, when he was done, we're talking about Jesus Christ. 
Jesus Christ preached and people weren't like amazed? That was like the greatest sermon probably. So, you know, I, I don't take it personally when people don't think mine. It's Jesus. You know, you don't even think that. So whatever. So you'd figure it would be the best sermon, right, that they've ever heard. But instead of listening to him, instead of gleaning from what the word of God was saying, they were just critical of him. They're just looking at other things besides the word of God. And this was in Jesus' hometown after his first message. And this is their response in Mark chapter 6, verse 3. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary? That was an offense. That was meant to offend him. And, and back in Jesus' day, men would always be identified as, as the son of his father. But they don't call Jesus the son of Joseph. They call him the son of Mary. Why? Because they're saying, we don't know who your dad is. We just know your mom was somewhere. Who knows, right? And people in his hometown recall the story of his mother. See, Mary was this unpregnant girl, and, and who, knew, who, who knew who your father was? I'm your son of Mary. That's all we know. And he was the son of Mary. And they were pointing that out to him, even though decades ago that that happened. Small town. Still there. And he was still labeled as an illegitimate child. And a similar type of thing was going on in John chapter 8, verse 48, when, when a group of Israelites asked Jesus, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? See, the Samaritans were, were looked upon as half-breeds in that day when, when ethnic purity was, was really important. They were like, kind of like my kids. Just half. And, and to have this pure ethnic origin, this ethnic story, really clear, they, that was really important to the family. And the Samaritans were this half-Jew and half-not-Jew, so it was this insult against Jesus and his ethnic purity, which went back to Mary because, hey, we don't even know if you're pure Jewish. Your mom could have been sleeping with a Roman guard, or he could have, she could have went with, who knows, you're like a Samaritan. It's just another slam against Jesus, another offense. They were throwing an insult upon his mother, questioning his ethnic makeup. And there's something really cool about Jesus. When Jesus began his ministry, he became well known as a champion for women. And he, he, he was one who would, who would welcome women with, with just these shady and sketchy reputations. Women with these shady and sketchy pasts would, would come to him. And they would wash his feet with their tears and let their hair down and wash, their, wash his feet with their hair. He would protect them when they were caught in adultery. And, and a lot of what he learned of how to treat women, no doubt, was because of the firsthand experience with his mom. Everything he heard, everything that was directed towards her in such an offensive way, he remembered what people would say, what people would do to his mom. And when the angel spoke, Mary, Mary didn't get the full picture of what was going to happen in her life. She didn't fully understand what this was going to do in her life. She, she didn't know the extent of what would happen to her reputation. And so often God does that, right? He just shows us little glimpses and you take steps of faith to move forward because if he shows you the whole thing, you're going to say no, right? If he showed me eight years ago what it was now, <laughs> no, no, I don't want to do that. I just don't. Thank you. Um, so, you know, he shows us glimpses. She, she didn't get the whole thing. She, she didn't know the extent of, of things that would happen. She, she did know 
that any aspirations of a normal life, any aspirations of a, a life of reputation or decency or peace in that small town of Nazareth, no chance. That, that was done. That, you had to kiss that goodbye. She, she gives this incredible response to the angel in verse 38, chapter 1 of Luke. Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. You notice that this wasn't a passive statement that she was making. This wasn't an answer of default where she was just resigning to whatever the angel wanted. This is not a statement of, of passive resignation over circumstances she can't control. This was a courageous offering of herself. This was bravery. You talk about bravery. Here it is. And you talk about heroism. Mary sacrificed all that she was, all her dreams, anything she aspired for. Uh, her plans to be obedient were what were paramount to her. And, and she wanted to submit to God's plans. And she knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that, that she was the Lord's servant. And she was going to be obedient to his word. And her statement, her obedience would be the foundation for all the ridicule she would receive the rest of her life. She would go back to being a servant of the Lord and being obedient to his calling to bring about peace to her heart when things weren't pleasant, when things weren't easy, when things weren't respectable. And her life as God's servant was anything but pleasant, anything but easy, anything but respectable her entire life. And Mary was the Lord's servant who chose to live according to his word. That the Lord's will would be done. Mary was obedient and suffered in obedience to God. And she's a remarkable woman. God began to communicate what he was up to in this baby, who this person, Jesus, really is. And we have an idea of what God is up to, but we still haven't fully understood the the depths of this mystery. People still have arguments about Jesus. Scholars still meet together to try to figure out who Jesus is. And there are so many claims from, from different, different ethnic groups or demographic groups that claim that Jesus was one of them. And you see it in, in most of the art from Europe. They claim that Jesus was a fair-skinned, blue-eyed, blonde-haired guy, right? You see that all over the place. And, and people can make an argument that Jesus was from Berkeley because, you know, he walked around in sandals, probably Birkenstocks, and uh, he didn't cut his hair, and, and he started a new religion, and, uh, and people can make an argument that Jesus was Chinese because he was the creator of all things. And what? compass, the wheelbarrow, the abacus, gunpowder, uh, silk, chopsticks. Do, do I need to go on? Noodles, paper, you know? And, and he lived at home until he was 30. Um, uh, he, he didn't wear shoes indoors. And he arrived late, you know, to Lazarus. He arrived, so he, he, he was blunt. So he was Chinese. And then there are those uh, arguments that Jesus was a woman. Right? He, he fed a crowd of people at a moment's notice when there was no food. Right? He kept, he ch- he kept trying to get the message across to a bunch of men who didn't get it. And even when he was dead, he, he had to get back up because there was more work to be done. So, so everyone is still arguing about who Jesus is, what he's up to, uh, who he belongs to. No one fully prepared to understand what God was doing. 
And we still don't fully understand, but we get glimpses. We get glimpses of it, and we have the birth narratives in the Gospels that give us glimpses of who Jesus is. And it was something that was clearer to the original audience than it is to us. It would have meant more to the original audience, and it wouldn't need as much explanation as we need tonight. But for us, we need a little bit more context. So we're going to go into the historical context a little bit more. And Jesus was born during the reign of Caesar Augustus. And now Herod was the king over Palestine and, and, and this little area where Jesus was. But, but way up on the org chart was Herod. Or, or, or over, over Herod was Caesar Augustus. He was the ruler of everything, right? And he was the head of the Roman Empire, Caesar Augustus. And here's a little bit of background on Caesar Augustus. When, when Caesar Augustus was a young man, he, he was adopted by Julius Caesar. And Julius Caesar was, was the one who brought the whole Roman Empire together. He unified the Roman Empire, and he was the great first, uh, first great Caesar. And the year that Julius Caesar died, th- there was this comet. And there were people who swore to the Roman Senate that they saw Julius Caesar ascending to the heavens in the comet, and so that he was declared God. He was officially declared God. And this was the beginning of emperor worship for the Roman Empire. So Caesar Augustus, being Julius Caesar's adopted son, became known as and was declared the son of God. And Augustus became the Caesar, the ruler of Rome and the emperor of the Roman Empire. He he ended the civil wars with Mark Anthony, but he didn't do it peacefully. He did it with an iron fist. And he calmed things down in those Roman provinces. And he instated the Pax Romana. Anyone remember that from high school history, Pax Romana? Right, the peace of Rome. And Caesar Augustus was credited for bringing the peace of Rome to the known world, to what was regarded as a civilized world. And, and he was proclaimed the Soter of Rome, the Savior of Rome. And the proclamation of his reign and, and his influence was formally announced throughout the empire as the Unigalion, or the Good News, or the Gospel. See, this is all technical language. The original, original audience doesn't, they already know that. They lived in that time. And we forget these type of things. And, and this was the gospel of Rome. Caesar Augustus, son of God, has become savior of his people. He brought peace to the earth. Now, does that language sound slightly similar to anything else here? Right? This, this is loaded language. And if someone was to go around using that kind of language about anyone other than Caesar Augustus, You're taking your life into your own hands. This was what was going on with little baby Jesus. The angel said to Mary in Luke chapter 1 verse 35, The Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Not a Son of God, the Son of God. And then an angel appeared to the shepherds and the angel said to the shepherds in the next chapter, Luke chapter 2 verses 10 through 14, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings, the unigalion, the gospel, of great joy, which will be to all people, not just Israelites, not just Romans, everyone. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, a Soter, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. What Caesar Augustus supposedly brought to the empire. The Unigalion, the gospel, the good news, peace. So here we have the story of the Son of God, the Savior, who was born to bring peace on the earth. And it wasn't Caesar. 
It's Jesus. And this was the message declared to Mary, Joseph, Zechariah, and the shepherds. Now jump down to verses 18 and 19 because these are very interesting verses. Verses 18 and 19. All those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Everyone marveled except for Mary. And she, she took it a step further. She, she kept all those things that were shared with her and, and pondered on them. She treasured them. She treasured the things that were shared with her. And we, we may interpret that just as like, oh, she's being sentimental. A mom, sentimental mom. Something, you know, a mother's creating memories for herself. She's just kind of meditating upon this event. But that's not what this is. Keeping and pondering in the heart. These are technical terms in Judaism to describe when someone figures out what God is up to. They've, they get it. These are terms used for prophets. They're terms to describe a call of action, a reflection that was to lead to action. Keeping and pondering, treasuring are what prophets did. It's something that necessitated quite a brilliant mind to, to figure this out. It required this keen spiritual sensitivity to, to figure this out. And on top of that, it called for a, a bravery, a courage to be, to be able to tell the world what God was doing and to call the people to respond to God's will. Now think about the Gospels, which are a declaration of who Jesus is. And in the very first couple of verses of the Gospel of Luke, Luke says that he, that he, he researched, that he, he wrote, and it was based on eyewitnesses. Now who do you think? The eyewitness, eyewitnesses were that Luke went back to to get the story of Jesus' birth. Who was the one who first started to shape and discern and tell the story of what God was up to in Jesus, in our Gospels? Who was the one who kept and treasured the way the prophets did? It was this once young, poor, uneducated, unknown Jewish peasant girl. See, everyone was amazed except Mary. The first one who figured it out, the first one who got it, what God was up to in sending us a new king, not just the king, but the king, the king of kings, king over Caesar Augustus, she got it. It was Mary. And after Jesus' birth, Mary and Joseph take Jesus to the temple to be dedicated as Torah instructed. As Joseph and Mary, they, they love God, so they follow Torah. But this must have been somewhat confusing to her. And reason being that when parents brought their baby to the temple to sacrifice, as it was taught in Torah, in the law, that, that a lamb was to be brought for the firstborn to sacrifice, to dedicate a child in the temple. Right? This, was, this was a time of celebration and, and a time of pride and a time of joy for parents. But, but Mary didn't bring a lamb. Joseph and Mary were, were too poor for that. They couldn't afford to do that. They were impoverished people, and we know this because they brought two pigeons, which were a provision made for those who were financially poor. So this might have been confusing because, hey, aren't we supposed to usher in the, the Savior of the world, and we can't even afford a lamb. We got these pigeons. And, and, and the poor, you know, it, it wasn't something that they were probably proud about. You know, it's a declaration of, yeah, I'm poor. And this was a time for parents to show off. And here we have the Savior who, who brings good news, the Son of God who's going to bring peace. And, and we don't even have a lamb to provide a sacrifice. And Mary and Joseph dedicate Jesus with pigeons. 
And then there was this old man named Simeon who took baby Jesus from Mary and Joseph. And Simeon was this highly regarded, highly respected, devout, spiritual, prayerful man. And he lifted baby Jesus up and and prayed to God. And then he says these words in Luke chapter 2, verses 29 through 32. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. What is that saying? Simeon was saying that this was what he's waiting for. This was what he was waiting for his whole life. And now that he has seen it, he can die in peace. Going on, verse 30. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples. And you notice Simeon says all peoples, not just Jews. All. A light to bring revelation to the Gentiles. And no one was thinking of the Messiah in these terms. To bring revelation to the Gentiles? What are you talking about? And the glory of your people Israel. Now for those of us with children, has anyone said that about your baby? When you hand it, oh, this baby, like, I can die now. Right? I've waited for this my whole life. And has this happened to anyone? You know, my wife and I, we have two kids and, and a third one on the way. And, and they're often told that they're cute. And, but I've never had anyone hold them and say, like, oh, I can die now. Like, right? And, you know, their future boyfriends might wish their death after they meet their father, but no one has, no one has ever said that when they've met my babies. And, and here we have this elderly Simeon who, who turned his, and spoke to Mary, not Joseph. He spoke to Mary, which is really strange in that culture because the father was the one to be addressed. He was carrying the father's name. The father is to be addressed, but he speaks to Mary. And he says this in verse 34 and 35. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now what was Mary supposed to think after hearing these words? What was she supposed to do after hearing these words? She, she knew he was the Savior, who was the Son of God, who was going to bring good news, who was going to bring peace. Her baby was the King of kings who would bring peace on earth. But, but she was told that his glory would come through suffering, that his glory would come through pain and sorrow, that he was going to be misunderstood, that he was going to be opposed, that there was going to be a sword. A sword, meaning that he was going to die. And that she was going to experience great pain from this. Now, how is Mary going to explain this to Jesus as he gets older? Now, can you picture the conversation Mary had with Jesus about his birth? Now, some people may think that Jesus came out knowing everything. He was born and he was, like, he was able to you know, do the quantum physics or organic chemistry. Like, oh, yes, let me tell you. And, but he was fully human. The scriptures say he was. The Bible tells us that Jesus grew in wisdom. Meaning that he was born and lying in a manger in swaddling cloths. He wasn't lying in the manger thinking about how he was going to heal the sick or walk on water or calm the storms or save the world. Jesus came as a human baby. He had to grow. He didn't know how to walk suddenly. He had to grow in understanding. And, and, and kids are, are like this. They want to know how they came about. They want to know how, you know, how they exist. They want to know the story of their birth. Kids ask their parents, how did I get here? Tell, tell me, how did I get here? Show me this stuff. And so, like my daughter Isabella, she asks her mom every once in a while to tell her about her birth. 
And Katie will, will go into telling her the story. She'll, she'll show her the video of the first day of her life, not this video of the birth. The, and, and we'll tell her how long the labor was and talk about the different nurses that show up on the screen and her first bath and all this stuff and the doctors and the midwives who came into the room and all this and, and all the relatives that were coming. And Katie will tell this child also about this um, reassuring, soothing, comforting, supportive, encouraging, even heroic person Isabella's father was. Um, but but time is not going to permit us to go into those details, even though it's the most inspiring part of the story. But um, can you picture the conversation Jesus had with his mom? What he asked about when he was born. How did Mary tell him? Or maybe she told Jesus that Caesar was not the real king. And that Caesar wasn't the savior. He wasn't the one that was going to bring peace and good news to the world. And maybe she told him it was a dangerous thing to challenge the king, so be careful about those things. And perhaps she confessed to him that she didn't understand everything and that, that he was going to have to find some of this stout, stuff out for himself. And maybe she told him that uh, she doesn't understand a lot of things about God and that she, all she knows is that she needs to submit to God. And, and, and at the beginning, she told him, let it be to me according to your word. That's what I told God. And maybe she told Jesus that it's, it's not about my wills, but it's, it's about his will. It's about your will, God. And there were things that Mary and Joseph taught Jesus that helped him later in life, no doubt. And that's what parents do. Parents teach their children things that are important to know. And God has a lot to do with Jesus' growth, yes. But there was a reason why Jesus was born into that family. And God trusted Joseph and Mary to raise that boy raise that baby. Verse 40, and the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Then when Jesus was 12, he went with Mary and Joseph to the temple for Passover because they follow Torah and they love God. So verse 41, 42, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover, and when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. Joseph and Mary were in this caravan on their way home, but the but came to notice that Jesus wasn't with them. Now, have any of you ever lost a kid? Um, I, I haven't lost my children yet, but I was one of those kids that always got lost. And every time my parents brought me to an amusement park or a mall or anywhere large, um, the first place they would take me is the lost and found. And so they'd hold me by the hand. They'd be like, that's the lost and found. And when you get lost, you go there. And it wasn't if I got it. When you get lost, you go there. And I got lost every time. Like, there wasn't a time that I didn't get lost when I went to Disneyland or any, a mall or, or anything. I always got lost. And my parents tried so hard to keep their eye on me. And without fail, I always ended up in the lost and found. Always. And, and I remember that my parents would argue about who it, whose responsibility it was for not keeping an eye on me. Like... You know, why didn't you, you were supposed to watch him. And, and they were very diligent parents. I mean, they were like hawks, right? They would what? But then poof, I'd be gone. That, that was the beginning of my ninjahood. And so, so can you imagine Joseph and Mary arguing about losing Jesus? You just lost the Son of God. <laughs> right? What do you mean? Like, you lost the Savior of the world, the one that was going to bring good news and peace. You lost them. Right? That would have been, that. So they backtracked. They returned to Israel, uh, Jerusalem. 
took them three days before they, they got back to the temple and they find Jesus there and he's 12 years old then. And 12 years old, that's an important age. It's an age when, when a boy is coming out of boyhood and starting to enter into manhood. And let's read on in verses 43 to 47. When they had finished the days as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem and Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now, it's, now so it was that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So he's sitting among the teachers, listening to them, asking them questions. Everybody who heard him was, was astonished at his understanding and, and his answers. They were, you know, this, this was all standard language to speak of a great rabbi. Everyone knew that when the Messiah came, among other things, one of the great things that he would possess is a great wisdom. And, he, and that the Messiah would himself know that he was Messiah. He would know. And it seems like something happened at this age that Jesus knew. Then his mother said to him, which was, which was uh, very interesting in that culture as well, because it was, it was usually the father who would speak at moments like this, but it was Mary who spoke, and she said in verse 48, So when they saw him, they were amazed, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Something switched. But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. So Jesus asked his parents, Didn't you know, Mom? Didn't you know, Dad? This was why I was born, right? And his relationship with his parents, they start began, started to begin to change, and he was coming into his mission. He was calling, his calling was coming to fruition. His identity was being brought out. Jesus began asserting himself, and Mary wasn't able to relate to him in the same way that she was accustomed to relating to him. And she was coming to the point where she was going to have to start letting him go. And Mary was going to have to start dying a little bit to herself, and maybe this started her pondering on those words about the sword and, and the beginning of those, those pains. And, and then at the, at, at the end of that temple story, Luke repeats that she kept all these things in her heart. Verse 51, Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them, but his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. She was understanding. She was getting it. And Mary must have been wondering what God was doing, but she was getting in. Jesus was growing up, and somewhere in that growing up, Joseph dies somewhere along the line there. So Mary's a widow, and, and she had to raise this family. Jesus, his brothers and sisters, and eventually Jesus left his mom and, and, and the home that he lived in, and he began his ministry. And he was a financially poor minister. And perhaps Mary was wondering how this could be, because... How can my son be the Savior? He has no resources. He doesn't even know where he's going to sleep. He's, he's just going out. What's going on? I thought he was the, the, the king. And, and it was probably really hard for Mary to understand what was going on because Jesus didn't look like the Son of God or, or a Savior who would bring about peace. She probably didn't think that Messiah would look like her son. And it was difficult, but that, that probably wasn't the hardest part for Mary. 
The hardest part is it doesn't look anything like what she expected it to look like. It doesn't look like Son of God, Savior, bringing peace. It doesn't look like what they thought the Messiah would look like. The Messiah was supposed to to clean Israel of sinners, but instead of that, Jesus was hanging out with them. Jesus was eating with them. He was welcoming them into his community. Was it really supposed to be that way? And the Messiah was supposed to overthrow Gentile rulers and Romans. He was supposed to get rid of them. But instead, Jesus was offending the religious hierarchy. He was offending Israel's rulers. What? That's so weird. And they are the ones, the religious hierarchy, they are the ones who are in trouble with Jesus while the Gentiles are coming to him for help. And he kept giving it to them. And it was the strangest ministry for the Israelites to understand. Really? The Messiah? This, is, this doesn't make sense. And we don't usually think about how this would have affected Jesus' family, but there are signs in the New Testament of how it affected his family. Let's take a look at Mark chapter 3, verse 21 as an example. But when his own, fa- when his own people, his family, heard about this, they heard about his strange ministry of Gentiles and not Israelites and things like that. They went out to lay hold of him, for, for they said, he is out of his mind. Have you ever said that about someone in your family? Some of you are getting ready to say that this week, aren't you? But um, Jesus' own family was getting ready to do an intervention. Right? They, were, they were wanting to control the Son of God. And Jesus recognized this. In John chapter 7, verse 5, it says, For even his brothers did not believe in him. And you think about the hurt Jesus experienced from, from the lack of belief his own family had in him. And in Mark chapter 3, verses 31 through 35, Jesus was in a home teaching. And so let's read that really quickly. Then his brothers and mother came, and standing outside, they sent to him, calling him. And a multitude was sitting around him, and they said to him, Look, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. But he answered them, saying, Who is my mother or my brothers? And he looked around in a circle at those who sat about him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and mother. Mary was probably standing at the door. And she probably heard all of that. Now what was she supposed to do with those words? What, What did she think about those words? Those are possibly hurtful words. And maybe that's part of that sword that was talked about earlier. And then she went home and she watched and she prayed and she pondered and she kept that in her heart. Then we don't hear about Mary again in in Jesus' ministry until the end. Jesus was betrayed. He was facing death. He was was in the garden. He was in agony before God. And God was asking him to suffer at the cross. And it was before him. And it was an agony that no one could ever imagine. Jesus prayed that if, if he could be spared from having to go through this suffering, but, but he paid the price of that suffering in his life. And before his suffering death, he, he said in, in Luke chapter 22, verse 42, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. You notice any similarities between that and the prayer that Mary prayed when his life began? Similarity when Mary was told that she was going to be carrying the Savior of the world and and towards the end of Jesus' life? God chose the right women here. And and, and when Jesus was arrested, he tried, convicted, beaded, hung on the cross. And we're told in John chapter 19, verse 25, 
Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother. See, in Roman executions, they, they would sometimes allow family members or, some, or people close to, to the one that was being hung on the cross uh, to come closer. And there's no pain that is quite the same as the pain of a parent watching the death of their child. And I've known a few parents who've lost their children, and, and it was excruciating. And that was Mary. She was experiencing this. And all, all of his followers, almost all of the disciples deserted him. And, and there was his mom near the cross. And she didn't care what was going to happen to him because she dealt with it her whole life. She's been ridiculed her whole life. And nothing that they could do was going to take her away from her son. And Mary thought back to when Jesus was her baby. And you know, kids, they, they grow fast. They grow really fast. When you, but when you look at them, you still see a baby. And I was sharing this in the first service, and I was kind of amazed. There, there, there are more mothers there. And when I said that, that parents always look at their children as babies, there are so many nods. And people like just saying with their lips, that's true. And I know it's true. And I don't think it was so different for Mary. She saw a grown man on the cross, but she remembered her baby. She remembered Simeon saying to her, Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. She came to the full understanding of what Simeon said to her. She now fully knows what that meant. Let's take a look at how Jesus took care of his mom in John chapter 19, verses 26 and 27. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the, the disciple, which is John here, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. See, Jesus did what, what the eldest son did in those days. He, he took care of his mother. And even though he was dying on the cross, he made sure that his last act was to make sure that his mom was taken care of. And we'll see Mary again in the Bible. Mary who, who watched her son die. But she understood that she was going to see him again. That all of us in, in Jesus' family would be able to see him again. And she understood a bit more when Jesus asked her, Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? She understood. She understood that Jesus was starting a new community. A, a community to be a part of because of what he did on the cross for us. A community that couldn't exist before. Because he was going to bridge that gap to a holy God. And we're told by Luke in Acts chapter 1 verse 14. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. With the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. His family eventually came around. And they knew that their brother brought peace on earth. They knew their brother was the king of kings. They, they knew that Jesus won. And that nothing could overcome the peace Jesus brought through his life and his death. That Jesus won. And nothing was going to stop him from succeeding in his mission. Herod, critical religious people, uh, not even death, could stop this good news from being delivered to the world. Now some of us have some difficult situations that we're dealing with. And, and there's a way for, for any of us to, to, who are going through these tough times to find peace. And during this Christmas season, it's, it's, you hear a lot about peace or peace on earth and all this stuff. It's about peace. 
But you can't find that anywhere else except for Jesus. And we won't find it in our education. We won't find it in our finances, our our careers, our intelligence, or our appearances, or anything except what God has done in Jesus. Jesus, who is still accepting people into his family, and and we can come into the realization of who he is, and just like his earthly family finally came around to realize who he was, and and it takes takes some courage because it takes a, a little prayer, a prayer like Mary's. Where she said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. Now for any of you who haven't submitted to God or don't have a relationship with God, I want, I want to encourage you to pray to God. And to find out a little bit more about Him. And if you're interested at all about having peace in your life. True peace. Not just a temporary thing. Something that is lasting, that can go with you for eternity. I want to encourage you to invite Jesus to be part of your life. And if you're not sure about how to do that, you can come up to the stage afterwards and, and talk to anyone that's up here. Because he's the only one who can offer you forgiveness for the things that aren't right before a holy God. He's able to show you how to live a life before a holy God. And for anyone struggling with problems in their life that they just can't seem to shake... Some, some damaging habits that you may have or unhealthy relationships or bad attitudes or something that just has control over you. You need to pray. Submit to Him as His servant and trust Him with your life. Just like Mary. And your will will lead you to a bad place. Right? God's will will lead you to a place of peace, of joy, of deliverance, And God will provide you with peace. Jesus told us in John chapter 14, verse 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Jesus provides that peace. That's why he was born. That's what Christmas is about. God bringing peace before a holy God to a sinful Man, he's the only one who can provide you an everlasting peace. Let's pray. God, thank you for your mysterious plan that seems a little bit more clear 2,000 years later. And I'm sure things will continue to unfold as we mature in faith in you. And and Lord, I ask that you would uh, bless the people here that those who do not have a relationship with you, Lord, that they would just crack a door open and start a conversation with you because you will show yourself true. And for those who are struggling with whatever they're struggling with, I pray, Lord, that they would be able to submit to you, that whatever your will is, that they would be humble enough to come before you and admit that they're frail and, and that they would want to be a servant. God, thank you for Jesus. And thank you for Mary. In Jesus' name, amen.